The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, thank you for what we've experienced already through song, through your word, through our fellowship together. Lord, we say collectively this morning that you are worthy. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have this morning to worship you. And now, Father, I pray as we've gathered together with so many needs, so many situations, so many issues on each and every heart this morning, that your spirit would in a powerful and profound way speak to each and every one of us. Lord, as your word is opened, as Christ is exalted, Lord, I pray that you would draw all men and women unto you this morning. Father, help us now. Lord, we need you. And so, Lord, I pray now that your word would go forth with power. I pray that your mind would be revealed to us this morning. And Lord, that, that we as your people would be changed because of what we hear. Lord, we thank you that living in community shows the world the gospel when it's done right. And Lord, the, the ordinance of baptism that we'll enjoy in just a few moments also shouts out the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask you, if you would, this morning, take your Bibles and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be there in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. We have started our series in 1 Corinthians several weeks ago now. And I just want to give you a quick review and bring you up to speed this morning on where we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you recall, the church of Corinth was a terrible church. It was a terrible church. It was the kind of church that you would not want to be a part of. They had real issues. They had real problems. What they had done is they allowed the culture to influence them, and they were not influencing their culture. And so, uh, real problems. So Paul does something very interesting when he starts off this letter to a church full of problems, to a church that's completely messed up. He starts by telling them, I want to remind you this morning who you are. And he calls them saints. He says they're sanctified. He wants to, to remind them who they really are in Christ, that they are holy, they are God's people, they belong to the King. And that's foundational for all of us. For those of us who know Christ this morning, we cannot forget that we belong to Him. And in the truest sense of the word this morning, we are holy, we are sanctified, we are set apart for God. And then he goes on to remind them not only of who they are, but what they have in Christ. They have grace, God's grace, God's amazing grace. They've been given gifts to flourish in their church. And they were given a guarantee that God who started a work in them would finish it. And that's what he's doing with us this morning as well. And then from chapter 1, verse 10, all the way until the end of chapter 4, Paul now is going to deal with some issues in the church. And the biggest issue that he's dealing with now is this idea of unity. Of being the same mind, the same heart, focused on the same thing. Because they, they'd gotten very haughty. Their, their culture was one that said, look at me, look who I am, look what I possess, look at my social standing, look who I rub shoulders with, look who I follow. Our crowd is better than your crowd. Our clique is more popular than your clique. And that was in the church. They were arrogant. They were following worldly wisdom. And Paul says, wait a minute, before you go there, let me remind you of three things. The first is this, that your gospel that you believe in a crucified Christ is foolishness to the world. 
and I'll be the first to admit it this morning, when we talk about a man that we believed existed before the world began, was born in a manger in a town uh, that was um, inconsequential, that lived for 33 years, worked as a carpenter, then taught and preached for three years or so, got the religious crowd all bent out of shape so much they wanted to kill him. They execute him as a criminal on a cross, the most excruciating form of death. He dies, he's buried, and he rises the third day, according to his followers. And we believe that today, some 2,000 years later, that sacrifice redeems me, it purchases me, it satisfies the wrath of God, and I am saved because of it. I don't know about you, but it sounds crazy. And it is. Except that it's true. (laughs) That it really did happen. And Paul says, don't be arrogant. You believe in a crucified Savior. You believe that God chose you. And he he goes in chapter 1, Verses 18 through the end, and he talks about God's choice of them. Not the the greatest, the smartest, the wisest, but the base, the insignificant, those that are are nothing, God has chosen. And then in chapter 2, he begins by telling them the content of his message. Paul just preached the gospel. And so, last week we talked about chapter 2, and Paul is saying in chapter 2 now, there are only two types of people. That's it. Just two. There are those who have God's Spirit... Within them, we call them saved, born again. And there are those who don't. They are lost. Paul says they're the natural man. And what he's doing is he's saying there's there's a radical difference between those who know and understand the scandal of the cross. This is God's wisdom. This is God's glory, the scandal of the cross. And so he goes on to explain there that the Christian believer, the, the one in Corinth, that our lives, because we are people who have the Spirit, should be radically different from those who don't. Now, let me say a couple things to you this morning. The reason I'm reviewing from chapter 1 to chapter 3 is because I want our people, as we go through this book, 1 Corinthians, When we're done with this book, I want our people to be able to open it up and to understand what Paul is talking about, to understand his arguments, to understand what he's dealing with, and to know what this is about. It's important, okay? And and by the end of this study, whenever it ends, at least a year, all right, we should know Corinthians. But there's a second thing. I want us as God's people here to ask ourselves the hard questions. Too many of us live lives that are unexamined. We never confront ourselves. We never ask ourselves the hard questions about our Christian faith. We come and we sit week in and week out, and we never ask ourselves, wait, what about me? If Paul says to the Corinthian believer, hey, listen, your life, your values, the way you approach life, your worldview should be radically different than the world's view on how they handle life, on what they think about marriage, about what they think about ethics, then then what I say to you this morning, Chathamite or Tilbarian or Ridgetonian, Ridgetown, I don't know what I don't know what you'd call Ridge. What do you call Ridgetowners? 
Okay, just rich towners. All right. Blenheimites, Wallace Burgers. What, Dale? Okay, great, whatever. All right. <laughs> Windsorite, where, wherever you're, you find yourself, let me ask you. And don't, you don't have to say it out loud, but, but, but wait, how are your values? Your values, your, how is it different this morning from your lost neighbor? How is your view of marriage and family different from the guy in the shop? How is your attitude toward work different from the woman in the office? Your worldview, as we see the world around us, how is it any different? And Paul says, for the individual who has the Spirit of God within them, there ought to be a radical difference because we have God's wisdom. We have the Spirit. He has revealed Himself to us. And we have the profound wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which changes and affects everything. Everything. And so this morning, now we come to chapter 3. Verse number 1, he says, And I, Paul speaking, brethren. And this is a really good start. He's reminding us here that he's speaking to God's people. When the Bible uses the word brethren, it means brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to the entire church here. And he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, he says, I could not speak unto you, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. And so Paul's been dealing with them, and he says, hey, listen, I want you to know something. When I came to you, I could not deal with you as spiritual. So here's the question again, and I want you to think through this with me. Paul just said there are only two types of people, those who have the Spirit and those who don't. And and that's true. But now he comes to the Corinthians and says, you're believers, brothers and sisters, and I want to talk to you as spiritual, but you're not. And so, are the Corinthians, are they spiritual or are they not spiritual? And the answer to that is, yes. They are spiritual in the sense that they have the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 tells us that if we have not the Spirit of God, we are none of His. And this is important. And you have to get this distinction, or you're not going to understand Corinthians or much of the New Testament. Okay, let me ask you this. Are Christians sinners, yes or no? Yeah, if yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, If anyone knows that Christians are sinners, it ought to be Christians. We know we fail, we know we sin, we know we have our issues that we deal with, we know we're not perfect, but at the same time, we know that God's Spirit lives within us and our position is safe in Christ. We've talked about this great exchange, that my sins were exchanged for God's righteousness in Jesus Christ. And now when God looks upon me, he doesn't see me and treat me as I deserve. He treats me as Christ deserves to be treated. And that's a great deal. That's my standing, my position in Christ this morning. Listen to me. I don't know if you understand this, but it is completely legitimate this morning to to go up to Dan Smolders and say, Hey, St. Dan, would you like that? It's wonderful. He he likes Lord and Master too, but we can just... (laughs) 
Saint Dan, Saint Rick, Saint Eva, Saint Anson, Saint Kim, right? That's completely legitimate. We don't have to die and 400 years later get sainthood. The truth is, in Christ, our position, we are saints. But he says, listen, you are spiritual in that way, but I can't talk to you that way. Because your life, your practice, it is not spiritual. It is not a life that looks like you have the Spirit within you. Now, look at our text this morning because it's very interesting for those of us who like the nuances of words there, in, in chapter 2, verse 14, if you just look back there in your scripture, it says, but the natural man, and that, that word natural is, it's suki, sukios, which means merely human, all right? It just means of man. That's what it means, the natural man. That is the man without the spirit, okay? Only two types of people, those with the spirit, without the spirit. But the word for carnal there, it is not the same word. The word for carnal is sarkinos, which means relating to the physical. And what he's saying here is, listen, it's not that you don't have the Spirit. He is reminding them of their condition this morning, that he says, you have the Spirit, but you're acting fleshly like you don't have the Spirit. I want to talk to you like spiritual people. But your lives don't match that. And then he says this, he says, even as unto babes in Christ. Again, an interesting word here because Paul often uses the word children. And when he uses the word children, it's almost always in a good light, a good connotation. You know, follow God as dear children, right? My children, um, be children in malice. But here the word is babe. It's immature. It means a baby. And it's not given in a good light. Now listen to me. There is nothing wrong with being a baby if you are a baby. We're not against babies here. Okay? Nothing wrong. A baby is cute when we understand it's a baby. I was thinking about my sons. I have three sons. Two of them are here this morning. One is not. He's in St. Louis with his wife. But all three of my boys, when they were babies, we'd play a game of hide-and-seek with them. And every one of those boys, when I said, okay, time to hide, I cover my eyes, one, two, come to five, two, three, four. And while I'm counting, every one of those boys would run to the middle of the room, sit down like this, cover their eyes, and peek. And, and, and somehow, some way, they believed they were hiding from me. You know, as a dad, you get concerned about this, right? It's like four and a half. Four and three quarters, what's wrong with you, kid? You're not very bright. You should understand. You're supposed to hide behind something. Your parents understand that, right? What's wrong with that kid? Well, nothing. They're babies. That's okay. But if at 18 years old, we, we play the same game, and the 18-year-old runs in the middle of the room and covers his eyes, and he's giggling and saying, oh, <laughs> Something's wrong with that boy. Right? And what Paul is saying is, I want to talk to you as spiritually mature. The problem is, you are babies. And not only are you babies, but you think you've grown up. And you have no idea. And that was this church. 
We have wisdom. We don't need Paul. We don't need Apollos. We don't need anybody. Look what we have. Look who we are. Look who we rub shoulders with. We have it all together. And Paul is saying, you're not all together. You are a bunch of babies. Babies. Look what he goes to continue to say now in, in chapter 3, verse number 3, or 2. He, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal. You're a baby. I want to feed you more, but I can't, because you are acting fleshly. Now, this morning what I'd like to do is this. I want to examine this idea of being mature in Christ compared to being a baby, because it's important. It's important enough that Paul addresses this. And sometimes in our life, we have this idea of what maturity is or how it's gained or what it looks like, and we don't have a clue. And so let's take some time this morning talking about being a baby, being immature, compared to being mature. Okay? Let's start by giving you a couple ideas this morning, maybe just three. Okay, here's the first thing I want you to think about. Um, maturity is not always dependent upon time. On time. Some of you folks as believers, you think, you really think, that because you have been saved for 10, 20, 30, or 40 years, that just naturally, given time, you are all grown up. And we in the church know that's not always the case, is it? There's some people who have been saved for a long time, and i got to tell you something. Spiritually, they're still babies. They're babies. I was listening to Alistair Begg this week talking about this topic. He said, wouldn't it be great one Sunday morning to have our congregation dress up physically in accordance to their spiritual maturity? He said, what would that look like? I have a hunch. I was going to do an illustration this morning, um, and uh, I tried to get a volunteer. I couldn't get a volunteer. I'd start with my kids. They're the easy ones, right? Like, hey, I got an idea. You want to try this? And uh, they say, well, what is it first? Which is, for me, it's bad, because it's usually something I don't want them to know what it is until they try it. But I thought, wouldn't it be funny to have someone come in uh, in their 50s wearing a diaper? I tried it with David, and he wouldn't do it. You know, he's 14 years old. And I thought, well, Greg's in town. Maybe Greg will do it. Um, and Greg wouldn't do it either. Um, so, so just think this morning. This is a legitimate, this is an adult diaper. Some of you have seen them before, right? I'm not going to put it on, all right? But could you imagine this morning if someone came in at 50? I better not, not 50. I mean, that's the age we start wearing those things. Um, maybe a little bit lower. In their 30s, coming in, and they walk through the doors, and, and spiritually, they're dressing now the way they look, they, the way they are inside, and they come with a, a diaper on. And a suck in their mouth. It's like, oh, here's brother so-and-so. They're just babies. And then we get a 20-year-old who comes in. They've been saved for about five years. And yet, mature, as, as far as spiritual maturity goes, I don't know what it looked like. Maybe they have gray hair, a long white beard, three-piece suit, big Bible, right? They've grown up. Listen to me. It has nothing to do with time. These believers were saved for at least three years, but since Paul's been there, probably longer than that. 
And Paul expected there to be growth in their lives. It's not dependent upon time. And some of you folks just think, because I've been in church for a long time, I'm grown up. And you're not. It is not dependent on time. And maturity is not dependent, now listen to me, when it comes to teaching. Now understand something here this morning. This church, um, we believe in the importance and the priority of teaching and preaching the Word of God. That's what the church is built on. It's not built on entertainment. It's not built on music. It's not built on personalities. It's built on this. And by God's grace, it will always be built on this. And we will always teach the Word of God. But listen to me. As, as, as part of the leadership here, there are times when I have to bang my head against the wall because I know on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night and at all our gatherings, the Word of God is open. It is preached. It is proclaimed. Right? And, and I think to myself, wait a minute, how can you sit week in and week out and hear the Word of God and not grow up? Right? It's, it, it's so, so something's going on here. Sometimes I want to wrap my head with duct tape because it's about to explode. Why aren't you getting it? And the problem was not doctrine for them. Listen, they had great teaching. They had Paul. I think he's a pretty decent teacher. They had Apollos. He's a Decent teacher. And yet, they were not maturing. It wasn't about doctrine or teaching. It was about their desire. Their desire. Uh, let's look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. Just turn there if you would. Because Peter talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. He says, Wherefore, laying aside... And, and by the way, okay, we start with wherefore. You've been in this church long enough. When we say wherefore, what, what does that mean? What's it there for? Good. Some of you folks are listening to teaching. That's a really good thing. Okay. You just can't start in the middle of no place. Okay. It says wherefore. And if you check it out, right, what he's talking about is our redemption, the gospel. We're saved, but we have the word of God. Okay. In light of what we have. He says wherefore. Laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Maturity is not dependent on time, nor on teaching. It's about our desire. And what, what Peter's saying here is the same thing that Paul is struggling with. These folks had teaching, but their life was so filled with junk Evil, deceit, hypocrisy, playing both sides of the fence. They were full on junk. Listen, I'm a Baptist. I love food. That's all we do, right? We get together, someone bring a casserole. We're all happy then. There are times when, when I'm eating and I'm going to fill up on something that's just junk. And by the time the meal comes, the good stuff, I don't have an appetite for it. And I kick myself because it's so stupid. I had taco Doritos instead of a steak. How stupid is that? Right? Sorry for those who love taco Doritos, Kim. Um, but Peter says, listen, your desire, your perspective is wrong. You're not desiring the Word of God. You don't love it. It's not the sincere milk of the Word. And so, because of that, you're a baby. You're a baby. 
Maturity is not dependent on, on time, it's not dependent on teaching, and it's not dependent upon truth. Now, now stay with me, okay? Truth. And again, we preach, we proclaim truth. Um, but here's what Paul says to the, the believers in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I wanted to give you more, you know, the milk and everything else and solid food, but you weren't able to handle it. And then he says, neither are you now able to handle the truth. And for many of us, we hear truth and we, we say dumb things like this. And, and I hear this all the time. Um, and, and stay with me, because there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to go deep in the Word. But I hear guys say stuff like this. I, I've heard them say, well, pastor, I just I want to go deeper. I mean, can't we just talk about eschatology? Let's, let's talk about prophecy. Let's talk, I, want, I want to unlock revelation. We talked about that on, on, on Wednesday night with Pastor Dan. I want to know more. I want to go deeper. Let's talk about amil, post-mill, pre-mill. Let's talk about pre-trib, post-trib mid-trip. Let's go deeper. And these are the guys and girls who can't even get out of bed to come to church on Sunday morning. They don't work a job. They're lazy bums. They don't even understand how to be kind to people. They're mean and cantankerous. It's like, wait a minute. You must do the truth that you know today before God reveals any new truth to you. Why in the world would he give you more with the truth that you have now you're not even doing? Hey, get up in the morning. Go to work. Brush your teeth. Be nice to people. Practice forgiveness. Get rid of your bitterness. Those are basic things. And Paul says to these believers, you're babies because of the truth that you have, you are not doing. And don't expect more truth and more revelation. Why would God waste his time revealing more to you when you're not doing what you know to do today? You're a baby. You're a baby. It's, it's not dependent on time. It's not depending on teaching. It's not even dependent on the truth. There's more happening here. But let me say this to you when it comes to immaturity. The toll of immaturity is catastrophic. There's a problem when you have a church full of people who are babies. And we know this physically. I challenge any one of you guys, man, woman, child, to go into that nursery someday when there are 10 babies in there. Just 10. And they're fussing and they're crying and they're whining and they want your attention. It is a nightmare. This is a plug for the nursery workers. Please, we need your help. Sorry, Keely, that's not going to help our cause, I know, but it's true. Babies make a mess. Babies are problematic. They're whining. They're clamoring for someone's attention all the time. And the problem is we are in churches today where we have boys instead of men and little girls instead of women. And the problem is that our immaturity, it does affect other people. It does. If you're a baby, and I'm, and I'm not talking about people who just got saved and they're, they're just new in the faith. They should be babies. They should be children. I'm talking about people you ought to be grown up by now. A teenager here this morning, I'm talking to you this morning now. Listen to me. Your lack of spiritual maturity hurts the cause of Christ. 
You go off to a public school and you're there, and because you've not grown in your faith, because you're not secure with who you are in Christ, because you haven't learned the fundamental things of your faith, how to be kind and loving and get, get outside of yourself, you go to school and you act like just the kids who are there, who are lost without the Spirit. Can I tell you something? That's detrimental to the cause of Christ. And then you come to church here, and you see a kid sitting here by themselves, and you, with your insecurities and your lack of grown-upness in your faith, sit and you ignore them. You hurt the cause of Christ because of your immaturity. You need to grow up. I know some of you parents are like, man, God bless you, Pastor. I love when you talk like that. Get them. Let's stay with the teenagers. Okay, but let's move on a little bit, all right? Hey, man in the church here, you hurt the church by your lack of maturity. Listen to me. Don't, you know, I'm not, let's get outside the church for a minute. Don't you hate babies outside the church? I'm talking about grown men and, and they get all mad and bent out of shape and they, they curse and they swear and they throw stuff and they kick a door and they're pouting because they didn't get their way. We say, that's ridiculous. We see a woman who does a silent treatment because she didn't get her way and she's, I'm taking my toys, I'm going someplace else. And we despise that in people. Usually people who do that despise in others as well. But it ought not happen in the church either. Hey, man, who should be mature in your faith right now? Your lack of maturity hurts the church. You should be grown up by now. You should be a man who is worthy to be followed. You you should be a man like Jesus Christ. You've controlled your passions. You're sort of level. None of this nonsense. I mean, I get it. Sometimes a woman can be moody. A man like this should be shot. Okay, That's That's not right. Amen, women? Yes. All right. Um, you, you should be grown up, man. You should be a man who could say, at this point in your life, follow me as I follow Christ. And when you're not, it hurts the church. Christian woman, listen, in your middle age years, your immaturity hurts the church. It should be a time and place in your life right now that you could say to a, a young mother, a single woman, um, a woman who's struggling with where they're at, what's going on. Hey, sweetheart, listen, I've lived this life. I've walked this walk. Here's what God's Word says. I want to encourage you in this area. And because you're a baby, the best that you can give her is advice from Oprah, which isn't good advice from a woman who's never raised children. Thank you. I'd like to know that people are actually engaged in what I'm saying this morning. It's true. We should have Christian women who, and again, it's not because of time, and it's not because of teaching and truth, but you are mature so that you can go and help the body of believers. And if you're not that way, you harm the church. Parents, your lack of maturity and your lack of growth in your faith will harm the church and harm your family. Too many Christian parents today aren't grounded in the Word, they don't know truth, and their kids don't have a chance. When you should be a parent who loves Christ, who knows Christ, and who's pointing them to Him, instead what you're teaching them is to love the world, to love money, to love a job, to love sports. And the best thing you're going to do is raise moral pagans who are lost without Christ. Hey, Christian worker, hey, hey, bastard, it's outside these walls, don't worry about it. No, can I tell you something? The church is a community, and we're a witness to this world. When you go off to work and you're immature in your faith and you act like everyone else, 
And when the boss isn't looking, you screw around. You don't give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Your immaturity hurts the cause of Christ. It's a problem. It's a problem. And Paul says, hey, Church of Corinth, I want to talk to you like grown-ups. I can't even do it because you're a bunch of babies. So, this morning, let's ask the hard questions. Just three, okay? We'll be done. Three. Here's the first one. Do you know Christ? I want to tell you something this morning. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what your background is. If the Spirit of God does not live within you, you are lost. I don't care how long you've been a member of this church. I don't care what you learned in Sunday school. You raised your hand. You walked an aisle. If the Spirit of God does not live within you and produce fruit, and fruit is not showing up to church, I know people who show up to church more faithful than I do, and they're lost. Fruit is love, joy, peace, a longing for fellowship, a longing for God's word, a longing to be around believers, a conviction against sin. Are you born again? And if you're not born again, listen to me, you are lost. You're lost. So, first question, are you the natural man or woman, or do you have the Spirit of God within you? Question number two, are you a baby? No, no, let let, let me change that, because that's like, oh, no. Okay. Question number two, in what areas are you immature? Because we're all babies in areas. And don't start this, well, Pastor Rick, no one's perfect. That's just the way I was raised. Ah, just, it's okay, just, this is who I am. Listen, this is what my friends down south say. That dog don't hunt. Okay? And what that means is, don't want to hear it. That's an excuse. You don't understand the the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God saved you to change you. And he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. That's our God. He loves you way too much to leave you in that mess that he found you. And so, in what area this morning are you immature? In your anger? No, I got to control. Every time I'm mad, you get mad. No, that's, that's a problem. The problem. Are you blowing the top all the time, slamming doors? Your kids are afraid of you? That's, that's something's wrong with that. You're immature. Are you immature in your pride? It's all about me. It's all about what I do. Look at me. This is like, you haven't learned the lesson yet. It's not all about you. You're not the center of the universe. Are you immature in selfishness? And still, I want the biggest piece of cake. I want to be the front of the line. I want people to notice me and recognize me. What about me? Not my wife, not my kids, not my husband, not the church. What about me? Are you immature? Immature in your control of your passions and your lust. Where is it this morning that you need to grow up? Listen, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his church, and for the sake of your own life. Can I tell you something? It's not fun to be a baby your whole life. It's just not. They're cute. They're wonderful. Can't wait for grandchildren. Hurry up, kids. Can't wait for that. That's wonderful. But it's problematic when you're a baby your whole life. We know that's abnormal. And so this morning, what area are you immature in? Question number two. Here's question number three, the last one. What are you going to do about it? What? 
Because we're all sitting here thinking, yeah, that's an area that, man, Lord, yeah, it's me. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to wait for God to sort of change my heart. I, I have a quote from the friends down south. They say this, that dog don't hunt. Okay, does God change our heart? Does the Spirit have to do the work? Absolutely. But you know how many times the, the Word of God says to us, put off the old man. Put on the new man. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it's God that worketh in you both to will and do of his pleasure. It's, it's part of us saying, walk the walk, fight the fight, do what you have to do to control these passions, this flesh, kill it, crucify it, let the new man live through you. What are you going to do about it? And then just in closing, let me just say, we already have a plan. We just read it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Get rid of the junk. Get rid of I want you this week to find one area in your life that you know is a struggle. Your anger, your pride, your lust, your envy, whatever it is, and say, okay, God, this is it. I acknowledge this. This is a problem. And God, I know you hate it. And Lord, help me to hate it like you hate it. God, I want to grow up. I'm tired of being a baby. I'm 45 years old. I'm 50 years old. I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. I'm tired of being a baby. Right? Identify it and hate it and say, God, I want to put this off. And then Peter says that we desire the milk of the word. If you sit here and you think that you coming here for 45 minutes to an hour, and it's not even an hour service, I mean, how long have I been preaching now? Less than, well, I've been preaching a while, okay. Um, um, but, but 30, 40 minutes or so, and that is for, for you. You hear it, you leave, you do it, and you're going to grow. You are insane. And can I tell you something? It's not just go home and read every chapter of my Bible every day. If you would just go home and take the word of God that you heard today and all week long apply it to your life, you would be changed. Do you know the early church, for the first like 1,500 years, they didn't go home with their Bibles in their hands? They didn't have them. They would hear the word, preach, and they would take the word and apply it to their life. You don't need a bunch of deep... We're reading books about the Bible. We're not reading our Bibles which is problematic. And then when we read our Bibles or hear the Word, we leave here, turn our radios on, watch television, forget everything we just heard. And we wait until next Sunday so the preacher can get up and go all crazy and get my attention. And yeah, yeah, that's what I need. And then we leave here and nothing happens. Nothing changes. That's problematic. You're not going to grow. You'll be a baby. Desire the sincere milk of the word. And here's what you find. When you do, and you start to taste it and ingest it and make it part of your life, you find out that God is good. And he is so good that he is changing me from the inside out so I can grow up in him. Here's the key this morning for all of us. You're too big to wear diapers. You're too big. You're too big to wear diapers. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to grow up. To grow up. And so this morning, when you leave this place, where are you immature? And what are you going to do about it? Let's have a word of prayer this morning.